So it begins. The beginning of K-Shed Uncuffed, episode number seven. You know, is it lucky? Yeah. Number seven has always been a lucky number. Um, you know, and so I'm going to try to carry that, uh, uh, carry that mark forward uh, with this episode. Um, you know, we're coming off a very, very strong one um, with my uh, sit down with my pops. And, um, you know, it was a really, really good one. I, uh, you know, should have let you guys know that my dad went on to uh, become a police officer in uh, in Davenport, Iowa, one of the first black uh, police officers in that city, um, and went on uh, to have a 25-plus year career. Um, he did a great, great job, and he had helped set the stage for, for me um, because I always knew that I was going to be a cop. So, um, you know, once the episode was, uh, was uh, wrapped up, I was getting um, hit up as far as like uh, people wanting to know a little bit more about uh, institutionalized racism, um, you know, because I'm in California and um, I'm getting those uh, type of uh, messages from people out here. And, um, you know, because California has always been known as one of the, the most diverse, most liberated or liberal uh, states out there. Um, it's kind of hard to kind of picture that a... Uh, forms of racism would be out this way and uh so yeah we're gonna i have a couple good 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 examples uh from my days as uh in the law enforcement field i think is gonna really kind of pave the way to kind of uh, show what some minorities uh, have to go through uh, um, to get where they're trying to go however but before i do get back on that i have to address something did anybody see this Antonio Brown crap this past weekend uh, with the rapping at the whatever uh, uh, show that was and everything out there? I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm still in shock, but um, I guess I shouldn't be because I think everybody has seen some of the most ridiculous things ever from uh, Mr. Brown. Uh, I'm going to say Mr. Brown because I, 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 I'm doing everything I can to, to show nothing but respect for the guy. Um, but he is blowing it if it hasn't been blown up already. And that, not just, uh, you know, I mean, he's just as a human, he's blowing it. Uh, but man, add the fact that he's a former NFL player, which is my background, uh, put in the fact that the dude's black, uh, which of course is, you know, relates to me. And uh, he was a wide receiver, <laughs> and he's wore the number eighty-four. So it's it's just for me. It's just kind of like, dude, what are you doing? Um, you know. But um, I, I kind of feel like I'm to blame though too. Um, and the reason why I say that is the couple guys that I work with, they're gonna really enjoy this because they got a kick out of the story when I told them. Uh, <laughs> so reason why I think it's my fault is. Um, when Antonio Brown uh, did what he had to do to get out of uh, Pittsburgh, which I thought was dumb. I mean, anybody, I think, would love to play for that coach. Um, coach Conlon just seems like a freaking just the best coach to play for. Uh, he, he, just that demeanor of his is, is something that I would, I would just freaking give a leg to, to be able to have a chance to play under him. You know, um, just uh, he just seems like a legit dude. Where it doesn't matter who or what or anything about you, if you could play ball and help us win games, get in there, and um, that's that's cool. So he was handed the the world, and um, but for whatever reason, he just just started losing it, and um, uh, what he did was do everything he could to get kicked out of uh, Pittsburgh. So he did. Then this dude goes and he gets signed by the Raiders. So th his first year with the Raiders was uh, a year um, that uh, you know I was still on the police force, and um, for years prior to that, I would always get asked to uh, you know come out uh, to uh, visit the rookies when they had their uh, rookie camps and talk to the guys and um, kind of give them a little bit of uh, um, uh, information as far as like how to. Uh, what to expect, how to be pros, uh, how to carry yourself out there in, in the streets and out in the community, uh, what to look for. If you get pulled over uh, for whatever violation, how to respond, how to be 
um, you know, answer questions and stuff. It was really good. And then, um, you know, a lot of times it was the rookies and, and then it would carry over to, uh, you know, uh, when the full team would get there too. So it, I, I would, especially when the team was located in Oakland still, I would always get um, asked to come over there and be part of uh, some type of function or some type of event where um, I was either uh, pl acting as a, a police officer helping to kind of uh, answer some questions and or I was uh, uh, acting as a former alumni and, and not in uniform or anything like that. And I was just doing um, whatever type of uh, fundraiser events or uh, Q&As with uh, Raider fans and all that. Uh, so. Uh, this particular time, I was asked to come out and uh, speak with the full team when they went out to Napa, uh, you know, with the start of training camp. So um, I didn't really realize at the time that uh, Antonio showed up in a freaking hot air balloon and um, some type of silliness like that. Um, but that should have given me the heads up. Uh, you know, as far as like what this guy was going to bring to the table, I thought that actually that was that was part of uh, the show, you know, uh, make an appearance and all that. And then um, the, then you move on. Then you act like you're a freaking NFL professional football player on that type of elite level. And that was nothing further than the truth. So we get up there. Um, uh, the guys have their practice. We weren't part of the practice yet. We were just... Um, we were going to be meeting with them in the big uh, meeting hall. And um, like I said, talking to the kids and stuff and um, the, the, the men, I guess. Um, uh, well, I say kids because it was now, it, before it was the rookies when we talked to the rookies. And now it's the full squad. So you can't call those guys kids. Those grown men. Um, it, but you would expect that they would be acting like uh, or um you know, uh, highly mature individuals, and most were, but there was a loud mouth in the back just just was like causing a a big disturbance as we're up there, and that's when I had like like three other um, uh, uh, Napa county sheriffs with us because I wanted them to be kind of stand by, and um, they know the their city more than. I would so if they had any questions they can that they want to pose to the Napa Valley Sheriff's one was a sergeant you know heck yeah that all we had all the avenues covered and they were in uniform and all that stuff and most people like I say were giving us nothing but respect I remember more than anything uh, Derek Carr sitting up front and he was so focused so dedicated so um, you know just in tune to what we were saying and um, I, I've always known that about him because I because uh, when he was a rookie, um, him and Khalil Mack, was, I, I remember them being down there. I was I came and I talked to the uh, kids uh, for their rookie camp then, too. So I just remember Derek over the years and, he, you know, nothing has changed about him other than, um, you know, he's just gotten more focused and more mature, I guess, and everything. And that was him sitting up at the front, uh, paying us nothing but respect. But some knucklehead kept yapping in the back. And I didn't know it was Antonio at the time. But then I look, I'm just like, holy crap, that's Antonio. He's cracking jokes and just, just being a fool. And so in order for me to kind of like, uh, just kind of like maybe ease the, the, the tension and kind of uh, kind of smooth over the divide, I said, hey, Antonio, what's up, man? How you doing back there? And he just started, said something, and I said, hey, look, uh, you know you're wearing my jersey, right? I need you to go out there and represent. And this dude said something so disrespectful. He said something like, oh, shoot, man, you can kiss your jersey goodbye or something like that. And everybody started laughing, and I didn't catch it at the time. I was like, and I looked around, and the, the you know, the... The people who were up there as the guests with me, they just gave me that look like, whoa, man, he just dunked on you. And I'm just like, wow, that was not the reaction that I was expecting. And I just I laughed it off. I said, oh, OK, man, whatever. And then so we tried to continue going on uh, with our uh, presentation and all that stuff. We did the best we could. But like I said, Antonio was still in the back, just just acting a fool. Um, you know, and so w when I thought about it, the whole thing, uh, you know, when we ended our, um, our presentation, uh, you know, a couple of people came up and they were very respectful. They had some questions and uh, they want to ask. I remember, I think at the time, Jonathan Abrams came up and, um, he, you know, he was respectful. Um, 
you know, Derek as well came up and gave us, you know, some uh, props and stuff. And then, um, you know, they all walked out and all that stuff. And I just f was bothered that whole night by Antonio Brown and what he did. It was just very disrespectful. You know, by no means am I like a, uh, a true, uh, you know, Raider legend like the, you know, uh, Jim Otto's and, uh, you know, uh, Calvin Branch, uh, Cal <laughs> I said Calvin Branch, but uh, uh, Cliff Branch, um, those guys, uh, Freddie Bolitnikoff, um, you know, I wasn't on that level, but man, shoot, I, I, I busted my butt out there. I'll be darned if I was going to have some new Raider come on in, uh, uh, you know, year one on the squad and act like that. So uh, people give me a bad time because uh, when I tell that story, at the at the police department when I went back to work, there everybody started kind of watching uh, because it was shortly after that um, where he started getting in trouble and uh, I don't even think he made it out of the training camp with without without anything working horribly for him after that day and people were pulling me aside like Kenny did you put one of those uh, hexes on him. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I did because, in reality, I'm from the South. You know, I mean, I was I was born in Columbus, Mississippi, man, down there in the deep South, and um, you know, I, I was raised by some, you know, some some uh, people who uh, true Cajuns, and you know, uh, down the down there in Louisiana as well, and uh, you know, maybe they maybe they gave me a little bit of a some little inner spirit where I just say, oh, okay, get them. <laughs> And um, ever since then, just has been nothing but uh, na silliness, nastiness, and just just uh, ultimate downfall. Um, you know, he ends up getting kicked out of Oakland now, and then uh, same thing in, in uh, New England when he tried to go there. Same thing, obviously down in Tampa, and just 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 a nightmare. You know, but. I can blame myself all I want, but I'm really kind of being funny with that and all that stuff. Because if, if it is my fault, I'm really just wanting him to to save himself. This is ridiculous, man. I mean, come on now. Doesn't he have, like, come, where's auntie? Where's where's uh, grandma? Somebody needs to show up where he's at and ignore his yelling and whatever I ain't I ain't nothing wrong with my brain I'm fine and no you y'all need to leave me alone and just grab him by his ear take him to the nearest um therapist to be honest with you you know because there's there's something going on with them that uh you know uh, I'll leave it at this I I did this uh, this uh short film it's actually a mini documentary film called the snake that almost got me um, and it's about, uh, you know, I'll send it out to everybody. I think you'll like it. It basically, it starts off with live clips and there's actually live clips of Antonio Brown, you know, so he's, uh, at the time there's clips of him as, as a stealer. And, um, and one in particular, it's, uh, kind of captures your attention, um, because he gets his freaking head blown off pretty much, um, against the Bengals and he gets knocked out. So, um, you know, you can kind of take it from there. Uh, and then we go on and we show uh, uh, kind of uh, clips of uh, some of the very bizarre and um, just outrageous uh, situations Antonio's found himself in since. Um, and then fast forward to real life, you know, you can take it, take it from there, look at him. I mean, it's amazing what's going on with him, but he refuses to, uh, um, you know, listen to people. His own agent was trying to tell him, dude, Antonio, please be concerned about your health. That's all we want. We don't care about the millions of dollars and stuff that, that's, you know, you're throwing away by how you're acting with, with these NFL teams. You're not okay. Um, so, you know, I've just, I've, um, the whole thing with the, the snake that almost got me, was, uh, uh, it, you know, it kind of covers and touches on the very, very hard topic of uh, CTE in former athletes. And, um, you know, in it, you have uh, uh, just back, backstory information as far as like uh, what to look for and what, what, um, what uh, usually ends up happening to some, a lot of these football players who just can't get the type of help that they need. 
Um, you know, and a lot of it, they end up uh, committing suicide. So, um, you know, I 100% hope that's not what's going to end up happening with, uh, with Antonio, obviously. But um, uh, until, he, um, until he faces the facts that, that he's not okay, uh, I think we're going to continue to see some of the most bizarre stuff uh, out of a human being ever devised uh, uh, continue. So, all right, come on now. Uh, I'm talking to Antonio's family. Somebody, somebody saved this man. So, all right, so we're going to switch up and everything. Um, you know, so, all right, uh, institutionalized racism. Uh, you know, I mean, K-Shed uncuffed um, has kind of set a standard. Uh, you know, do we like talking about issues like that? You know, uh, politics and um, real life, uh, um, you know, traumatic situations like racism, uh, you know, when you're talking about COVID, mix all that in. It just, it's not fun to talk about, you know. It makes life very, very unbearable in, in a lot of cases and stuff like that. But, uh, um, you know, again, if we don't talk about it, if people don't keep asking about it and, um, you know, trying to uh, in, not embrace it, but just kind of uh, embrace the fact that, hey, change has got to happen, it's, 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 uh, it's going to be a slow, slow process. Um, you know, so institutionalized uh, racism or strategic uh, racism or, um, you know, it, it, it's whatever you want to call it, it's, it's, it still exists and it takes a toll. So um, let me use my, uh, my days as a, as a popo. A uh, couple different examples that I have, okay, that kind of cover that. So picture, picture, you know, you're a seven, eight-year vet on the streets. Uh, you know, you've, you, you feel good. You feel confident in your skills. Uh, you've been all over the different shifts and stuff, whether it's uh, the very crazy high-octane, high fast-paced swing shift where nonstop craziness from bank robberies in progress that you interrupt and the chase is on or the foot chase is on or there's a shooting or, um, you know, crazy, crazy situations. I remember one time where we go and we to a, a bank robbery and, um, you know, it, it wasn't actually a bank robbery at that time. It was just a suspicious person who went inside the bank, walked out, went back into the bank, walked out, um, and he just kind of made everybody nervous and uh, he was wearing a trench coat. So, um, you know, they call us, we see the guy, um, I'm, when I get there later, they had already had him all stopped and detained and they're talking to him, he's handcuffed and all that stuff, but he's not really answering his, the questions very well. Um, and, you know, and then as they're pat searching him and all that stuff, uh, one of them says, gun, and you look and he has like a sawed off shotgun, like, duck, like tucked in his, uh, um, in his uh, trench coat and all that stuff. And he just had this look. I'm not laughing, but he just had this look like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, they found it. <laughs> so, yeah, he got um, obviously, uh, you know, assisted down to the ground. Um, and then um, he was already handcuffed, but obviously we had to get that gun and secure the gun and all that stuff. And thankfully, he didn't try anything else. He knew he was caught. Uh, so he went to jail for being in possession of the firearm and... Um, uh, you know, several other charges and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I mean, but I, I've seen all that stuff at that point. I've, you know, I've gotten in my chases and all that stuff um, uh, myself. So I'm feeling really, really good about knowing my job description, how to patrol. Uh, I know my beat. Um, you know, um, uh, if you know anything about uh, City of San Leandro, it's 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 broken off into like eight sections, uh, seven sections, I guess, uh, seven beats. Things might have changed. I haven't been there in a while, but uh, you know, but I knew my beat at that particular time because um, I used to live out there in that area. So I knew how to patrol it. I knew uh, it was. It's a, one of those beats where it's mostly commercial. So when, when um, the nine to five jobs in, things like slow down tremendously. 
you know, I mean, people were shut down their businesses and, you know, and, and then they head home, like their warehouses or whatever, their workshops or whatever, they, they head home. So all it really is at that point is just patrolling and keeping your areas safe and all that stuff, uh, you know, conduct some traffic stops um, at night because that was the time I was working the, the graveyard shift. So that was nine o'clock uh, at night till seven in the morning. So you're doing an overnight shift. Um, so, and I was on that shift for a while um, with that beat. So I knew all about what I was supposed to be doing. Apparently, um, uh, there was a white lieutenant, and I'm not gonna say that person's name, um, that matched up with uh, 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 a white sergeant who, and I'm not gonna say that person's name either, but neither one of them, well, let me go backwards. The, the sergeant dug me but the lieutenant didn't. Um, and now that trumped whatever the sergeant had to say because now if, this, if the lieutenant wanted to go after a particular person, you know, shoot, you, you know, as a supervisor, as a sergeant, you kind of have to follow that lieutenant's lead because, you know, he outranks him so, or she outranks him. So um, in that particular case, it was bad, bad for me to have that type of matchup, you know, that lieutenant on that shift matched up with that sergeant because that particular sergeant wasn't the type of person who would, uh, who would, uh, you know, you know, ripple the waters. He was, uh, if the lieutenant wanted to jam somebody up, that sergeant was, was doing it without question. Okay. Yeah. What do you, what do you need? Or what did you do? You know, he didn't even have to ask that. He just, what do you want me to do? Uh, and then it was all bad for that officer from that point on, and that was the case with me. So I remember one night, just kind of just 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 monitoring, doing my beat. All of a sudden, uh, that particular night, it was a quiet night, nothing really going on. But then all of a sudden, someone gets on the radio. Another officer gets on the radio. Is like, um, I need an officer to to respond to my location and gave a street intersection, even though that person was on a completely different beat. Uh, downtown beat and nowhere near mine, but that officer was on my beat and said, I need an officer to respond. Uh, I need officer to respond to whatever intersection at such and such and such and such out here. Uh, I just had uh, a male run from me uh, in a stolen car. I have the female passenger uh, uh, detained, but uh, the male just got done running and he's hopping fences, going north on whatever. And so it's on my beat. So I immediately go out there and I'm zipping. I go and I, and I pull up and um, I see the officer. And uh, this officer commands everybody's respect, especially mine. He's a, a legit officer who's, uh, who's uh, stuck up, stood up for me many of times. Very solid officer. So I knew right off the bat that, uh, you know, that he handled the situation the way he felt comfortable with. Although, um, you know, not very many other people could get away with that, with meaning doing a traffic stop on a stolen vehicle by themselves without putting it on the radio and taking one of the people in custody and then letting the other. Well, actually, he he tried to take them both in custody, but the other dude just ran. He did all that on his own. Uh, there's just no one else at that time who could have done that and um, been OK. Uh, but anyway, I get there, I see he's okay. He's, um, he has the female passenger detained and handcuffed. And I think in the back of his car, like, like he said, then he points out where the mail went. So I immediately, and I say, Hey, you're good. And he said, he's good. You know, other units are coming and responding, uh, you know, uh, code three. And, um, so I'm going to where he said the, the guy was last seen, um, as units arrive on the area, I'm able to see or hear where this dude is. Um, and I, so I put units, uh, whatever intersection, whatever block, and we lock that person in. He's completely locked in. I know for a fact we have him, you know. So every, once all the, everybody gets unseen, um, the lieutenant, the same lieutenant who I'm telling you about, and then the, the sergeant and all that, uh, you know, they set up their command post and, uh, you know, and everybody's there and it's, it's great. It's great. Um, you know, cause number one, our, our officer, primary officer is okay. 
he has one in custody in a stolen vehicle uh, and, and no one got hurt. Uh, all we have to do now is, uh, you know, search and, you know, get the other outstanding suspect when we know he's in the perimeter. So now I kind of take over because, uh, you know, the primary officer is kind of, uh, he's tied up now because he has a body and now it's my beat. So I kind of, uh, I can, and I'm the one that set up the perimeter and got everybody where they needed to go. And I'm kind of trying to, okay, let's go. We're ready. Let's go get our teams. Let's call them out and let's go, let's bring them in. And, um, for whatever reason, the lieutenant, I don't know, that particular lieutenant who had some out against me did not want me to shine or something like that. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what else to think about it. He didn't want me to shine. So rather than us putting our teams together, arrest team together, uh, going and uh, calling this guy out and uh, bringing him in custody, this lieutenant gets on the radio, says, no, instead of doing that, we want you to, we, and he's talking to me, we want you to break down the perimeter. We find, we, we got him identified. He lives at this particular house, which is also in my beat. Go to that house and see if he's there. <laughs> I'm just like, what? Oh, wow. Um, uh, I don't even know if I, if I try to reason with that or not. I, I think I either I think I did something like just either took my time or tried to call somebody else. It's like, why would we do that? I hear him. He's right there. He's not at the house. If we go, why would we do that? That just made no sense whatsoever to do that. I mean, the guy's right there. So um, regardless, it was a lost cause and I would have lost anyway. So um, that's eventually what we did. Uh, I had another unit go with me to the to his house. We we made contact. The dad answered the phone or the house. I'm sorry, answered the door, and um, uh, we we go in, and he says, "Yeah, no, he's not here." He's like, "Okay, can we just check?" Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And we look, and he's not there. Sure enough, he's not there, and um, now he's a he's gonna, and so we leave. And we break up the perimeter, and uh, the, the the officer who had the female in custody took her to jail. Uh, he, I'm sure in his report he wrote the driver of the car was identified, and then it was what they call submit the report for complaint. Um, you know, to try to get a warrant for that person who the outstanding person for for the driver. Um, and we wrapped everything up. Uh, that was it. That's a, how, how that's how, how that call ended. So anyway, um, fast forward two, three months down the road, and now it's, it's time for your uh, yearly evaluation and stuff. So I had forgotten all about that, uh, that call. So I did it. Uh, it's my turn. It's a different, it's a different sergeant that, at that time. Um, I can't remember if, what the other sergeant, if he got reassigned or he, he got promoted, I can't remember. But uh, at this time, it was a new supervisor, but he was tasked with giving everybody their evaluations. So it's my turn. He calls me in and he sits me down. He's like, okay, here's your, here's your uh, evaluation. Let me know what you think. And I'm reading it. And I get to the part where he says, where the supervisor says, uh, Shed did not show the type of proactivity and aggressiveness we would uh, expect for someone of his years on. Um, in one call in particular, uh, someone did a traffic stop on a stolen vehicle on his beat. Um, one outstanding suspect got away and um, not taken into custody that night. Uh, and this is what it says. We were, I was expecting Shed to put together um, an attempt, a very strong detailed attempt and plan, uh, operations plan to go after this guy and take him into custody, whether it mean, meant to uh, do follow-ups and do videos and meet with people and do stakeouts and do all these different things to eventually bring this suspect into custody. As it stands right now, that suspect uh, was not taken into custody for that particular crime that was initiated by another officer on his beat. And I just said, what? 
And it was just the rest of the evaluation was similar to that on all different levels. I'm just like, this makes no sense. And it was very, very heartbreaking um, and very frustrating. I let that supervisor know, and he was kind of surprised, like, wait a minute, why are you so upset? Because they don't really see me that upset all the time. Uh, that time, I didn't hold back. I thought that was BS. And I let that supervisor know. Um, and, you know, to me, he, he got uh, put in a uh, really kind of, a, you know, crappy situation because he didn't know anything about all that stuff. Every time that I worked with him on his shift, his other shift prior to getting put on that one, he knows me. We, we, we get down together all the time. He loves my work product. So that's what's, that was just as surprising to him as it was to me. So, and I try to explain. I'm so, I, I, you know, I'm not even going to try to explain it, but there's, this is not indicative of how that my year went. Um, so in the end, uh, I have so much respect for that supervisor um, that he just he calmed me down. He's like, the only real way to you know right this wrong is to go out there next watch and to show your butt off. And I said, you know, you're right. And I made I'm just like, I'm gonna write this down for me, please, sir. I said, I can tell you right now, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm going to do this, I'm gonna start this, I'm gonna get this going, I'm gonna get my 10851 pin again, I'm gonna do this and this and this, uh, all this next coming watch. And I did all that. Everything I said that I was going to do, I put goals on that, on that at the end of that evaluation and turned it into them. Everything I said I was gonna do, I accomplished. And um, just because I was pissed. <laughs> You know, I didn't have to do all that stuff. I mean, shoot, I've earned my stripes. I've, 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 you know, I mean, seven, eight years on, man. I mean, I was highly respected. You know, I, I did my stats. I'm, I was never one of those officers who went out and just pulled people over and just jamming them up and making arrests over foolishness or silliness just to get stats and stuff like that. That's just not how I rolled. Um, you know, so, uh, but, you know, when they're, when you get a target on your back, if you're not out there doing all that stuff, you will get, they'll get you one way or another. So, and, but never once did they ever address the officer um, who initiated that uh, uh, stop on that stolen vehicle that night by himself um, and took two people into, try to take two people into custody without ever putting it on the radio. Never once did they address anything to that officer as far as like officer safety issues or anything like that. That nothing was handled that way. Only person who got out of tr got in trouble that day was was me f for not apparently getting the guy in custody. So, um, yeah, that's one example of institutionalized racism. Um, you know, and so it's unfortunate. You know, and it's not just me. At that time, if, if it wasn't me having to go through all that stuff, I can name five other officers who were. Uh, minorities at that time who were going through similar, similar events. Um, you know, uh, I'm, it's sad to say, but I'm just, I'm telling uh, real life stories and stuff. I remember uh, when, uh, I remember back, uh, you know, around that time we had uh, three, wait, five, four new officers come in, um, all transfers from other departments, all coming in around that same time. Uh, three were white males and one was a black male and they all came in at the same time uh so uh you know it states in our in our ops in our policy that you can't get any lateral assignments until you've been at their apartment over a year and off probation uh i can i can tell you without a doubt that three of those officers who i'm just i'm just talking about uh all became uh, field training officers, which is a lateral assignment, um, and they were only like 10, year, 10 months transferred, and that was it, and that was uh, outside of uh, the stated policy, um, and then the black officer got nothing, um, and, you know, and if you bring it up to anybody, like, hey, how come this person didn't get anything, because you just asked that uh, ca casual question you, to somebody, well, he never verbalized that he wanted anything. 
but how did these three know how to verbalize the, to what to put in for? Because if they go by what the, the, the policy says, they can't even get anything anyway. But here, all three of them are uh, field training officers. And then shortly after that, one became a detective. Shortly after that, another one became a, a TAC unit officer. Another one became a range master. And still, the black officer got nothing. Uh, it was so bad for the black officer that that black officer transferred back to where he came from, you know. So institutionalized racism. Uh, I can't make this stuff up, y'all. I mean, I could sugarcoat it, but I'm not going to. Um, no, I'm not going to. We. <laughs> I want somebody to call me up and say, no, that's not how it happened. Oh, okay. All right. Well, all right. I'll tell the story again. Tell me step by step. How, what happened then? Why did this happen like that? I mean, what am I missing to help me out? That's why I'm bringing these stories up. Um, I'm sure some of the officers who I, I worked with after listening to uh, my podcast, they're gonna know who I'm talking about and they're gonna know uh, who I was referring to. And then they're going to say, I, you know, they're either gonna agree with me or they're gonna say, I don't know, I don't know about that one. And that's great. I, I, I look for, I want them to because I want to not believe that that's what it was about. Why wouldn't I? It can't be what it was about. Right. We're, you know. So anyway, um, that's number one. I have another one. So this one, this one takes a little bit more setting up. OK, so on uh, example number two. Um, so one day you, I have to go. Actually, I got to go back to my first days on the streets to set this one up. Um, Finish the academy, uh, come on in, and then I. Now, when you, you know, you you finish your academy, you go on to your um, your police department, and you have to take part in like a 16, 17 week uh, field training program. All right, where you're with your field training officer, uh, you know, hardcore field training officers is what I remember. You know, I mean, I'm just just uh, God, I love my field training officers uh, for the most part. You know, just just standing there and just watching them, just just automatically knowing how to handle a situation. And you're fresh out of the academy and you have no clue. And you're watching these guys knowing an, in, an instinct how to take down a criminal who's coming at you or running from you. What to do. Get on the radio rather than chasing after them. You know, stay with this person. Put it out on the radio instead of going the other route. Oh, man i didn't think about that <laughs> that is easier you know and you know all that things all these things that you have to learn as a police officer it just it's as a new police officer is mind-blowing it'll have your head spinning you know that's why you you have to be as solid as they come to be a field training officer um you know um so um but this one it was no big deal so uh, when it's not crazy uh, this particular time uh, I was with the field training officer, and we would, uh, um, when it was nice and quiet, he, this, this particular field training officer liked to read, right? So whether it was the newspapers or, uh, you know, like the, you know, just, just updates and stuff like that online, so we would go to the library, you know. I thought it was great because, uh, you, know, so, you know, at random, Things are going to be nuts where we're, we're running back to the car and we're zipping after somebody and, and the chase is on. But for now, let's go and just kind of like uh, feed our minds and just kind of at the same time, I, uh, you know, I have reports that I have to do. And then um, that officer would go and read the newspaper and all that stuff. It was, you know, very multidimensional because it would just always like keep your brain active, you know. You're constantly trying to feed your brain with knowledge and information. You know, I thought that was fantastic. You know, but the, as, as, as beautiful as I just painted that picture, when we walked in, we saw an older white male walking out, and um, my training officer and those two immediately, they, they knew each other, so uh, they hugged and said hi and embraced, and, you know, it was just, just a good moment. Um, uh, this, uh, uh, but this male, this, this man never looked at me at all. I'm standing right there, never shook my hand, never even looked at me, never had acknowledged me in any way. 
But those two just kind of like had a blast. It seemed like uh, he was happy to see my field train officer and very uh, gracious and all that stuff. Um, uh, found out as we, we left, we, uh, that my FTO said, that's uh, such and such as uh, dad. Um, you know, and like I said, people are probably going to recognize who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say any names, but uh, uh, so, but when I say such and such, that person, um, you know, was a San Leandro police officer. So, uh, all right. So I'm like, oh, okay. That, that's, that's cool. Uh, didn't know that. And um, it just stood out to me how, you know, m maybe he just, you know, blew me off because I'm a, he knew I was a rookie and there was no real point to acknowledge a rookie, you know, that's just how it is, I guess. So, um, you know, so fast forward later on, I, I'm still being, uh, you know, trained, I guess, whatever. And then you kind of see that person. I remember seeing that person again. Um, and, and this time uh, there was another uh, uh, trainee being trained um, who happened to be white. And then <clears throat> when that particular individual saw this trainee, all of a sudden, hey, where are you from? And shaking hands and asking questions and giving them warm welcomes and all these different things. And at the time, it didn't really register that there was too much odd with that. I mean, just, I mean, you know, at that time, uh, the dude was an older male. I put him in his 60s or 70s and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, um, no big deal, I guess, when, I, you know, kind of where I'm from. Yeah, obviously, you're going to, some of the older generational white males aren't going to be the friendliest. And, um, you know, I've been in places where, elder, you know, you know, at a golf uh, establishment once and stuff. I remember going up uh, to the bar and this one white male just cut me off and went right in front of me and, you know, got served by the bartender. And I looked at him and I kind of stuck my head and said, hey, uh, how's everything going? You going okay? And he would not look back, would not even acknowledge me. And I even went to the other side to make sure he saw me and he still ignored me. I was like, dang, okay, so those are the ones that, you know, they make it very, very clear that they're, they don't want to have anything to do with you, and you just know those people exist, you just kind of like, uh, oh, well, and you move on, so that's kind of, I guess, how I was, I kinda, if, if, if I was affected at all, I kind of just like blew it off, like, yeah, okay, whatever, man, I have plenty of friends, I have too much other stuff to be worried about anyway other than you, so, but that sets the stage, because as I progress and I go off on my own, I get my, you know, I get my own shift. I, I'm solo officer now and, um, you know, years on, uh, you know, I start building my, my, uh, my career and my, you know, I start building my years on and stuff and, uh, you know, just getting comfortable as far as like being a police officer, uh, you know, and then so as you progress, in your privileged career, you go from shift to shift, you learn different things, uh, you know, and so you're pretty much all over. Then the people that you started off with, they get promoted and then they, the same thing, they'll, they may be, uh, you know, put on the midnight, you know, weekend shift and stuff when they first started out, when they first get promoted and all that, uh, or they may go here and there. That's just how, uh, if people are familiar with uh, law enforcement, that's how usually the police departments work. Um, it just keeps things fresh. It keeps uh, people rotating, and um, there's always new trainees who are uh, coming in and stuff. So they have to have, find spots for them. So they may put that or her, they may put that officer on a on a swing shift, and that means that there's only a certain number of spots in that swing shift. So someone who might have been on the swing shift for such a long time, they may get bumped. Then that means they go to another type of shift, and they may bump another person. And it just, it's just, there's a lot of movement when it comes to uh, uh, your police departments and stuff. It's just the natural order of things and stuff. So I remember um, uh, being put on a shift where this, this uh, person, now they're a supervisor, and they're this person I'm telling you about who they said that's that person's dad. So now, this, now I'm on the shift where I'm being supervised by this particular person. And... Um, you know, I remember uh, in, in around everybody else, we're like the best of friends. 
Um, but behind closed doors, there just seemed to be a little bit of like uh, like uh, dissension, I guess. Like, you know, I remember on one particular day, I I get uh, I go to uh, I'm I'm on shift just patrolling and all that stuff, and um, uh, I go uh, I, I I'm on lunch, right? So I'm driving to the station to to go have my lunch, and there was a call uh, that was sent out. I was on lunch, so I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't sent to the call, but I was driving right by the area where this call came out. And it was basically just a group of young black males uh, or, and females, uh, you know, meandering about in front of a building, um, not leaving, just be talking loud and just kind of causing a little bit of disturbance and stuff. And just, you know, I mean, this building is right by the school, so anytime there's you know schools out and all that stuff, kids are just they have all that in, inner energy contained. Uh, now they can just let it out because they're no longer in school, and that so yeah, there might be a little bit more hyped up than normal and all that stuff. But that's not anything different than how I was. I remember um, when I was growing up in in junior high school and all that stuff. So yeah, maybe that's and I'm quite sure that's what it was. But you know so. I drive by this building. <clears throat> I stop. I see the kids. They're they're out front now, and they see me. There was no bad exchange or nothing like that. They just acknowledge, "Hey, shoot, there's a cop. All right, uh, let's just walk away." And then they, you know, without acknowledging me one way or another, they just you know grab their stuff and like let's head on out. And they just started walking away on their own. So uh, what it, it was, I so, so I cleared the that call. Um, with our dispatch, uh, you can dispo that call at the whatever location as adjusted. Um, and I and and then I said, uh, uh, show me back en route to the station for my code seven. So I drive and I and dispatch acknowledges this copy, and then uh, I drive to the station and have my lunch. Um, you know, and that sergeant that I was telling you about was working that night. Um, so a week or so later goes by and I get called into the office and, you know, he calls me in the office. He has his witness and stuff or another officer just as a witness, I guess. And so I immediately know something's not right. There's a tone that's going on here. It just didn't feel right. So, um, they say, come on in and close the door. And I'm just like, okay, and have a seat. And I'm just like, all right. And then they say, um, this sergeant in particular said, hey, um, I got to ask you some questions and stuff and just need to know, you need to know that, uh, you know, some action may come about it and um, we'll go from there. But I have to ask you a question. And and so I, I didn't know how how everything works. I hadn't knew I didn't do anything. So I know what was going on. But the first things out of his mouth was like, do you remember going to a call at this location? Uh, a couple days ago or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. And he's, and they said, and you said that uh, you told dispatch that you adjusted the call. And I'm just, oh, yeah, 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 I did. And they're just like, really? Uh, did you get out? Did you go speak with the reporting party? And I'm just like, no. Um, and then it basically kind of like took a weird angle, like, okay. Like, and then, it, and then, Basically, he was saying he didn't believe that I even went to the call and I cleared it, um, you know, adjusted or something like that. And I was and I explained to them, like, I didn't have to get out of the car. I pulled up. They saw me and they left. That's an adjusted call. And I kept on going. And then when the when that uh, sergeant realized that there wasn't anything there. Uh, they, they try to ask me, well, did, did you uh, did you pull into the driveway or did you just stay where you were in the street? And I said, I stayed where I was in the street. I didn't pull into the parking lot of the of the building. I didn't have to. And um, that was another one they were trying to catch me on, because if I said, no, I drove into the parking lot, you know, they knew that I didn't. And then that would have jammed me up. And I'm just like, you know, the whole time I'm just like, what is going on here? It was just a bad, bad moment. And then in the end, um, you know, they played it off like, like, well, he played it off like he was relieved. Like, oh, I'm so glad that that that's great. So, but just in the future, we're trying to, you know, I mean, trying to uh, expand our uh, relationships with the community. So rather than just, 
you know, doing it like that, go ahead and park the car and walk in and, and make sure that the the reporting party are okay. Was there anything else about it that we needed and all that stuff? It's like, okay, all right, well, you take, and they say, all right, you get back out there and hit the streets now. All right, sir, thanks. <laughs> then you walk out like, what the heck was that? You know, and so that's, that's indicative of maybe, you know, maybe just a, that's how he was raised or whatever. That, uh, you know, guys that, and girls, I guess, that look of my skin tone or whatever, I have no clue. Um, and the reason why I can kind of say that it probably had something to do with my race on that particular one is because, you know, fast forward another six weeks or six months, maybe a year or so later, now um, I'm working that same uh, uh, person I'm talking about is working as well um, out in the streets and stuff. Uh, you know, San Leandro San is a pretty big city, uh, I think. It's kind of spread out and all that stuff. So when I say out and about, I mean, just picture officers all over the place and no one's really like huddled up on each other. They have certain areas they got to patrol. Uh, I, so when I say when I'm I'm working, I'm I could be on the other side of the city, but obviously when you have the radio, you can hear calls going on. So you're really kind of connected that way. So you know you don't have to be in the same area, but you, with the radio traffic, you know where everybody is, and you can see on your computer where people's cars are as they're patrolling and all that stuff. So um, it's a well well designed system. Um, you know when it comes to uh, law enforcement it keeps everybody connected and and, and um, intertwined with each other so we can uh, patrol a big city um, which is not considered a big city by most standards but uh, when you're out there and you got a lot going on it feels like a big big city trust me so anyway so that night I remember uh, a white officer on patrol uh, working and they got sent to uh, uh, what they call a suspicious circumstance call. So basically, on their beat, um, they got sent to a call where um, there was a construction site going on, uh, whatever location. Um, you know, they got the construction people obviously tearing down the, the, the grounds and getting it ready so they can start cementing it or um, putting foundation down and all that stuff and getting things ready to build up for whatever building they're going to build. So, you know, they got bulldozers and all those different things. Uh, um, so I guess they uncovered what they found or what they thought to be uh, a skeleton, skeleton bones or, yeah, bones. So um, they immediately do what they're supposed to do. They stop everything and they call the police department because this could be a, 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 a body. This could be a human body right here. So he gets sent to the call. He gets he gets there. Um, you know, I, you can just hear it. I'm not there, or I can't see it, or anything like that. But you can just hear it, and you can read the call, the details of the call on the on your MPT, uh, your computer, and it basically says that uh, construction zone, construction sites uh, during the, the operation, um, uh, their demolition, they come, they uncover what could be uh, human bones. Um, and I don't think anybody has to be a police officer to know what you're supposed to do if you come across a possible crime scene and a buried body. I, that's a pretty serious call, right? I mean, I don't think anybody can kind of understand that. So he gets there. Um, uh, he's, I'm sure he's making contact with the people, showing them where the bones are. Um, as that's happening, uh, you know, you don't hear much from him other than... Um, uh, I, he's, he's unseen. Now, all of a sudden, two, three minutes later, one, on the other side of the city, uh, nowhere near this, uh, one of the guys or girls gets into a, 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 a chase. So some car, maybe it was a stolen car or something like that, or, or they just did traffic stop and they failed to stop. And all of a sudden, uh, the, there's a pursuit going on and it's going on all through, the, on one part of the city, it keeps going, it comes around. It happens to end up close to uh, where this uh, scene is, this construction site is, where the officer is. And, but they had, there's plenty of officers already assigned to the pursuit, you know, and there's a policy that states how many 
officers can be in a, in a pursuit and or around anyway. So they had more than enough help and on, on more than enough bodies, pretty much on this on this dealing with this pursuit. So um, all I remember is hearing uh, that officer on the scene with the bones say, uh, "Dispatch, uh, um, I'm gonna you know suspend this call. I'm." I'm close to the pursuit. Show me a route, and now he's he's on his way to the pursuit. And said, "Suspend this call that I'm on." <laughs> uh, without oh, so I'll just leave it at that. So now you have now you hear this officer, you know, in the area of the pursuit that ended up way away. They get the guy or girl, I can't remember, uh, stopped, and then they get them in custody and. Everybody goes uh, what you would call available. Um, once the whole thing was all resolved, you hear unit after unit after unit saying, dispatch, I'm available. Dispatch, I'm available. And they're clearing the scene nonstop. You hear that same officer who was at that construction site say, dispatch, I'll be clear to pursue. Show me available. And dispatch says, copy, because they're not paying attention to, to you know his other calls or whatever. So... You know, three or four minutes goes by or whatever and nothing. And then, um, you know, finally that supervisor, that same supervisor who called me into the office and asked about me adjusting some call, gets on the radio and said, hey, uh, whatever your name is, um, is that call at the construction site still holding? And, and the officer says, yeah. He's like, well, can you respond back there, please, and uh, see what we have? And, he, and then he says, oh, okay, uh, dispatch, show me back en route to the construction site. Goes back to the construction site. <laughs> oh, my God. So that's it. And for the life of me, I cannot, I can't even fathom me doing that. All I know is just the officer was allowed to go back to the construction site, stand by, and then he called corner and all that stuff and everything. And I don't know what ended up happening. I don't think it turned out to be a dead body or whatever. I can't remember exactly what it was. But nothing happened to that officer at all. Nothing. Not even a, not even a, like, dude, what are you thinking? Nothing like that. He was allowed to go on about their day. Nobody said anything. The same lieutenant or the same supervisor who jammed me up for saying, you know, adjusting a call uh, didn't didn't say anything to him. He didn't get written up. He didn't get in trouble. Nothing. And that's how that went. Went on went on about his business. And then, you know, sooner sooner after that, got got, uh, you know, went on to detective duties and stuff and just got all these lateral assignments and stuff. It's just like, what the heck? That's how it worked. So he was part of the good old boy system. They, he connected well with them. And then, um, and so what he did was okay. And, but what I did, which is my, my job, I get jammed up on that. And they were trying to trip me up on that. So, you know, I mean, was he, was he born with those type of harsh feelings towards minorities? Probably no. I, th I think it went back to how he was raised. I mean, look at how his how his dad treated me, you know. So, you know, good, good dude for the most right. But there was something in him that meant that that <clears throat> I got to I got to jam minorities up. I, I, we can't let minorities take over this place. I, you know, somebody help me out explain the, the 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 rationale behind that because that was the beginning of a lot of uh, bad tensions between me and this uh, sergeant and then i started figuring out what he was really really up to and not only just that supervisor i started watching and just observing the way they a lot of the others operated too and it makes it so this uh, institutionalized racism makes it very, very hard to spot if you're not paying attention because it rotates. Um, one minute that supervisor who you thought jamming you up, they're no longer there, and now you're having to get used to another smiley face and stuff, and you forget all about that other one. And then eventually this one uh, 
backhand you some way down the road and then you forget about all the other stuff you know so me being someone who um after a while i started paying attention and learning this stuff and i started getting pissed um because not only was i getting jammed up and all that stuff and had to go through hellfire to get simple jobs around that uh you know my department and maybe it's because it's a small department and then you know kind of everybody's uh, you know, kind of feed and feast for themselves. Okay. But is the, the unfairness was very, very easy to see. Um, so it goes back to my claim that I said um, in my last episode. Uh, guys are going to have to stop being like that and kind of have a little bit more security in themselves and stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's another form of bullying, if you ask me. You know, they don't do anything to someone that they know uh, will look at them like, if you do not get out of my face, it's on. Then they'll go to the minority who just kind of already knows that they're kind of like, you know, uh, you know, a couple foot back anyway. And then those are the ones that they mess with. I don't know. I need to speak to somebody on that one. I'm going to. Um, my, one of my upcoming shows, I want to have a guest on who can kind of, you know, without being all sensitive and all defensive and all whatever. Dude, I'm more curious than anything. Um, you know, it's it's a part of life. It's all good. No one's no one's thinking it's the, the it's it's the downfall of the world. You know, racism is just a part of it. You know, I mean, it's 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 you you have to figure out a way to to um, push forward even with those type of odds. So, but while I have this podcast, and it, someone maybe name it, case yet uncuffed, which was me, we're gonna be going there. We're gonna go there. We're not afraid to talk about issues that are kind of hard to talk about and all that stuff. I'm still. If I saw that sergeant today. Um, I would still hug his neck. I would still say, hey, what's up? I would not be bitter. I would not be anything because in, in reality, I retired with a really, really, really good and very respectable police career, you know? Um, uh, anything that I kind of set my sights on, I was able to get. Uh, uh, I felt I was a pretty, pretty fair and pretty strong field training officer. Um, you know, one of my other favorite assignments that I was finally able to get was uh, uh, evidence recovery uh, officer. Um, so basically, you go to crime scenes and murders and all that stuff. And um, uh, I, I was eventually able to get that, um, get on that team, uh, the ERT. And um, that was a fantastic assignment. You know, well, you just, you can't, you have to, I guess, to be a police officer and be, be, experienced that to kind of know what I'm talking about, but picture being on a scene, a murder scene for 17 straight hours, 17 straight hours with like four or five other officers and you're processes, processing the scene um, from start to finish, from in outside, inside, um, uh, and then you, everything about it, everything evidence-wise that needs to be recovered we're not stopping and not leaving until we get all the evidence we need to solve that crime. Um, you see some stuff that your mind is just not ready for. Um, I remember going to a, 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 a homicide where the uh, auntie was beaten to death by her nephew who, who lost his mind one night and thought she was an alien or something and then smashed her face in. And you just look, and I can't even really describe it, but just... Uh, that poor woman, you know, and, you know, you can't, you have to find a way to look through um, the actual body and figure out, okay, we have to start here and work our way outward to uh, obtain all the evidence we can. Um, Everything is uh, very, very important to process. And um, my job was um, to not only assist with all that, but um, to package all the evidence up too. After they did photographs, my job was to uh, package it all up and get it all into bags and stuff and label it and everything. It was a very, very exciting uh, experience. You know, one that I I learned a lot from. Um, you know, it was, it, it just but you know these things are gonna, are going to stay in my head for a while. So 
um, regardless of, of some of the odds and the obstacles that, that uh, a lot of the police officers had to go through, by no means am I trying to say that minorities have it bad. Uh, there's many other races who aren't minorities, I guess, who, who have, have it bad too. Um, you know, so that's just, the, that's just the way it works. All I guess I'm saying is that it's unfortunate that it's that way. Um, that they that it feels like it has to stay that way. It just it it doesn't have to stay that way. There's very many um, relationships that can blossom if you just get rid of that that uh, element right there. You know, uh, white officers are no better than any uh, you know any officers who who are from Thailand or anything like that. They're not. It's all about their mindset and their their performance out there on the streets and their ability to relate, um, to have uh, street knowledge and have uh, book smarts and be a well-rounded police officer. You know, that's, what, that's what's gonna make police departments uh, prevail. And uh, the sooner departments as a whole realize that, the better off it's going to be. But you know what? I'm glad I got that out. <laughs> Somebody asked me institutionalized racism man you know i'm gonna be mad i'm gonna be really really mad if they once they listen to my podcast and they say i still don't get it i'm like god dang you <laughs> but anyway uh thank you guys for joining me today um it's been fun it's been real uh, i had a blast i look forward to the next time where we can do this again and um keep them coming Keep up the topics and stuff like that. We're going to move into some other stuff as we go forward. The Raiders football season is about to kick off here and everything. And um, we're going to have fun uh, getting ready to root them on. All right. Um, so San Diego Chargers, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Denver Broncos. Look out, y'all. Silver and Black's coming. K-Shed. Out.